Hi, listener. I'm Carol Fisher, the host of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister. I'm so excited for you to hear the brand new season where we're uncovering a 35-year-old mystery. But for those of you who didn't hear season one or just want to listen to it again, you can now get access to all episodes of that first season of The Girlfriends 100% ad-free through the iHeart True Crime Plus subscription, which is available exclusively on Apple Podcasts. You'll also get access to every single episode of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, ad-free and one week early, only available to iHeart True Crime Plus subscribers. So what are you waiting for? Head to Apple Podcasts, search for iHeart True Crime Plus, and subscribe today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A warm up, brotherly low. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas. Look at us go to with myself, Greg Eubes, and now part of the Beast Family Podcast. And got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment, we are going to be joined by Connor Ope. He is one half of the Hope and Rolf Podcast. That is a part of Heat Check CBB. He does absolutely terrific work on the written side of things. He also does amazing work with that podcast, which you're able to find wherever you find this fine podcast in the second segment. Going to be talking about Gonzaga and UCLA Sweet 16 matchups. What we've all seen in general in college basketball with defense-oriented teams being able to get the job done here in March. So we're going to be having that chat in the second segment. In the final segment, going to give you guys picks and analysis on everything that we've got for Monday as we had some bank shots. We don't have any NCAA tournament games, but we've got the CBI going down. We've also got ourselves what used to be the CIT. It is now known as the Basketball Classic, so going to give you guys everything that I've got there and going to be just diving into everything that you want to hear on this podcast. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you, got one of two ways to be able to fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind the letters ZM. I mean, does not matter? So as per usual, please send these into the timeline. And the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. I had a few people ask me, is it typical for teams to just completely forget how to play in March? What is the term for college basketball teams that completely crater this time of year? Your answer March Madness. That is the term that you wind up using for this. It has been very, very crazy. So let's take a look at everything that we wound up getting on a rambunctious college basketball Sunday. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these teams a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. The day started with Illinois trying to give chase to Houston. They wound up being down by a count of 54 to 49 with about five minutes remaining. And then they proceeded to completely mount down. 68 to 53, the final first half for Illinois was marred by the fact that you wound up having Andre Corbello play 10 minutes. He wound up having two turnovers, contributed absolutely nothing. The offense was stagnant, and they benched him from there. And then from there, Illinois didn't have a lot going. Kofi Coburn was able to give the team 19 points, 8 rebounds, went 6 of 11 from the floor. I'm not sure why they didn't give him the ball more. And for Illinois, 17 turnovers in this game. Meanwhile, Houston, they only go 6 of 22 from three-point range, but he wound up having four of those threes made by Kyler Edwards, 15 points, 6 boards, 4 assists. Houston, just 9 turnovers. They did a good job with 6 blocks shots of their own. Juwan Roberts, Reggie Chaney, both coming off the bench for a pair of blocks. Houston just wanted to bring the fight to Illinois, and it was, quite frankly, not a great day for the Big Ten. I'm recording this with the Texas versus Purdue game pending, and as of right now, the Big Ten is 0-4 as Wisconsin wound up falling to Iowa State by a count of 54-49. to With 10 seconds remaining in the game, prior to Jordan Davis being able to get his just last second three in garbage time to go, the team was 1-21 of 21 from three-point range. I mean, Wisconsin could not have played worse if they tried. They wound up getting 13 fouls on Iowa State in the first half, and they didn't drive the ball in. They deserved to pretty 
much lose this game. And Gabe Kelsher, someone who began his career at Minnesota, has a little bit of familiarity with Wisconsin. 10 of 19 from the floor, 22 points. Iowa State, I mean, if you're looking for coaching jobs that have been absolutely tremendous, TJ Otzelberger has now won in the NCAA tournament as many games as Iowa State won all of last year, and both of those games were against a SWAC. We've never seen that before. That is for sure. As I was saying in this game, they did have 14 turnovers, but they forced a Wisconsin team that, with regards to turnovers per offensive play, coming into the NCAA tournament, was number one on all of college basketball into 17. Johnny Davis, 17 points, nine rebounds. He did have four blocks. He also did wind up having four turnovers. And for Wisconsin, just that bad three-point shooting. They were laying a house with all those breaks. It was not great. Villanova, they were able to get the job done against Ohio State. 71-61 to the final. The big determiner with regards to the spread, in my opinion, was the free throw shooting. Villanova, top team in all of college basketball with regards to free throw shooting percentage. 17 of 20, they were nailed. So Ohio State was relatively solid in their own right, but they go just 6 of 11 at the charity stripe. EJ Liddell, 17 points, 6 boards, 3 steals, 2 blocks. And Malachi Branham. Good game for him, 23 points. Problem is, outside these two gentlemen, you had a combined 21 points out of Ohio State. Zed Key did give the team 11 rebounds, but for Villanova, they did a nice job being able to control the game with just nine turnovers. You did wind up having Ohio State win the rebound battle, but Con Gillespie, 20 points, four assists, did a very good job running an efficient offensive attack. Villanova, they wind up going just 8 of 23 from three-point range, but got the game at their tempo. Nice, slow, and controlled. They get the job done. They are going to be going to the Sweet 16. If you, like me, wound up taking six half points with Michigan State, this was brutal. Michigan State up by kind of 74 to 72 with 245 remaining. Not only do they wind up losing the game, I mean, that's something in which Duke being able to pull out the close game, that's relatively to be expected, but to not cover six and a half, that is brutal. 85 to 76 of final as Duke, they were able to do a good job at the free throw line late. They go 16 of 21 while there. Wendell Moore went 9 of 10 at the charity stripe for Duke. They wound up being able to go just 5 of 13 from three-point range of what kept Michigan State in this game. They won 11 of 22 from three-point range. Gabe Brown, 18 points. He buries four out of his six triples. Marcus Bingham Jr. was very solid in this game. 16 points, 7 boards, 3 blocks, but Duke, they were able to do a solid job down low, winning the rebound battle by kind of 35-31. to 31. For Duke, they also had Mark Williams on their side. 15 points, 8 rebounds, 5 blocks in this contest, and then Trevor Keels comes in off the bench for 12 points. It was just a case in which a backcourt of Duke just completely had the backcourt of Michigan State outgunned in this contest, and Duke advances to the Sweet 16 in the last ride for Coach It's the first ride for Mark Adams at Texas Tech, and his ride continues as Texas Tech gets the job done 59-53 as this was a game in which you did not wind up seeing a lot of offense for either team. Texas Tech shoots 35.5% from the floor. Notre Dame 32.5% from the field. But Texas Tech, number one in all of college basketball with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis in road and neutral court games. And a guy that really wanted making his name last year in March Madness, Kevin O'Banner, while he was at Oral Roberts, 15 points, 15 rebounds. He was the difference maker for Texas Tech. And Texas Tech also wound up winning the turnover battle 11-8. So they were able to get by to the Sweet 16. No cover there, but they were able to get it done. You wound up seeing actually quite a few underdogs be able to come through towards the latter half of the day as you wound up seeing it be all favorites towards the beginning part of it. Each of your first three games wound up going to favorites and then I believe it was four out of the last five that wound up being underdogs including Miami winning outright against Auburn 79-61. to If you like me wound up having the over, well some missed front end of one and ones and Auburn shooting five of 26 from three wound up doing this as you wound up having a grand total of 133 field goal attempts in this one in Auburn. They go five of 26 from three point range. Jabari Smith just 10 points, 15 rebounds on 16 shots. You did wind up having Auburn do a good job taking care of the ball. 13 turnovers in this one. Miami, they were very solid with only four turnovers. For Auburn, it's been a team that all year long they've been able to box some shots, eight in this contest, and they win the rebound battle 47 to 39. But big in this game, Cam Magussi, 20 points, four seals, four assists, six rebounds, and then Isaiah Wong, 21 points. He was able to go off, have himself a nice performance at Miami. They've been able to get by these first two games of the NCAA tournament despite very poor three point shooting. 
one of 14 against USC. Not a lot better in this one, three of 15. So just imagine what's going to happen if they do wind up draining a couple threes. Purdue, they've been having a little bit of a tough time draining threes as well. They go 6 of 17 against Texas, but good enough to get the job done. 81 to 71 in a game which they shot 46 free throws through 12 of Texas. I recognize that Purdue should have had more free throw attempts in this game, but I think 46 to 12 is a little bit extreme there. You wind up having Zach Eady have 11 points and 10 rebounds. He was able to do a solid job in Texas. I will say they were hacking the big men of Purdue quite a bit. There should have been a Free throw disparity, I don't know about quite that big, but with that said, Marcus Carr, 23 points, 7 assists, just 2 turnovers. He actually looked solid for Texas on the stretch in Texas. Only 7 turnovers in this contest, but Purdue did a good job of being able to get to the line. They outsized Texas. 41-28. Now they get the Peacocks of St. Peter's, which that's going to be a lot of fun. And Arizona, they played Kirk Carissa on Sunday. He did not look effective, and it very nearly cost him in this one. 85-80. Arizona gets the job done in overtime for Arizona. They gave Carissa 27 minutes, 1 of 10 from the floor, Two turnovers. He wound up having three fouls in this game along with his three points. You can tell that he just did not look right. Arizona was not functioning very well when he was out there on the floor. But Christian Coloco went a loco along with Ben Matherin. He combined 20 rebounds and 58 points along with three blocks. So those were the guys that were able to get it done for Arizona and for TCU. 22 of 30 at the free line. Not too bad for them. 18 of 25 for Arizona, but just 6 of 26 from three-point range. Couple with Mike Miles having six turnovers in this one. Really wound up being a little bit costly for them. And then if you're looking at action that is out there a little bit more off the beaten path, we did wind up seeing a closing total between Virginia and North Texas in the NIT of a 109. You wind up having this game be 55 to 55 at the end of regulation. Goes into overtime. You do wind up having Virginia being able to get the job done. They advance to the Elite Eight of the NIT. 71 to 69 in the final. So if you want to take the over, it was no sweat there. 9 of 17 from three-point range for Virginia with Armand Franklin, who's quite frankly been awful from distance. Entered in this game shooting 26.5% from three. He dials it up at 5 of 7 from distance for North Texas. They wind up winning the rebound battle in this game by a count of 35 to 31. But also for North Texas, you did wind up having Mardis McBride give you 21 points. North Texas, 11 of 14 at the free throw line. Really had been a little bit of a bugaboo for them. And Virginia, just 10 of 19 at the charity strike. But Virginia, just six turnovers. North Texas, 11. So North Texas, their run in the NIT comes to an end. And you always want to be taking coaches that always seem to get their guys motivated. Tony Bennett, I think that he could be in a total pole matchup between the two worst teams in all of college basketball. He would still be inspiring his guys out there in the NIT as well. Vanderbilt, they survive, they advance. They do not wind up closing the closing number. There was a lot of steam that wanted coming in on Vanderbilt, so this closed more around three and three and a half, but Vanderbilt, 70 to 68. They are overtime winners as Scotty Pippen Jr. 11 of 13 at the free throw line, 32 points. And for Dayton, give them a lot of credit. Malachi Smith winds going down with an injury in that Atlantic 10 tournament, and Kobe Elvis did a solid job will be able to run the point guard spot. 20 points, 5 assists now. They wind up having 5 turnovers in this contest. And for Dayton, the reason why they got sent packing, 4 of 16 from 3. Point range, a team that overall shoots more around 36.5% from 3. And for Vanderbilt, they're building some upward momentum with their coach in Jerry Sackhouse. He's been able to do a relatively solid job, in my opinion, has been dealing with injuries throughout much of his tenure. But Liam Robbins, who wound up missing much of the season, he was able to give the team 5 boards and 2 blocks. So that gives Vanderbilt a little bit more on the inside. You're getting a lot out of Washington State right now as well. They wind up going on the road. They take down the Pony Express of SMU, 75-63. SMU wound up in this game going just 4 of 20 from 3-point range. Absolutely terrible. Kendrick Davis, he did his part, 30 points, 3 rebounds. Goes just 2 of 8 from 3, but went 10 of 10 at the free throw line for SMU. 15 of 16 at the free throw line, but Washington State, they're canning their free throws. TJ Bomba, along with Michael Flowers, go combined 13 of 13 from the line. Overall, Washington State, 23 of 26 at the charity stripe. As Flowers is able to give you 22 points, Washington State, they dominate on the glass, 46 to 32. They have been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Mohamed Gay. He was back in the fold in this one, only 13 minutes, but was able to deliver five rebounds. DJ Rodman, 
He was able to come in off the bench. He had six rebounds in this game. And Deshaun Jackson, a guy that you want to be taking a look at moving forward for Washington State, nine rebounds per game. I do think that taking a look at the NIT does give you a little bit of insight as to next season. I don't think that you're going to find that with Xavier in Florida because right now they've got interim coaching regimes and they hired on new coaches. But with that said, Xavier was able to win a brick fest against Florida by kind of 72 to 56. Florida goes 6 of 30 from three-point range. Xavier, 4 of 20 from three-point range. So combined 10 of 50 from distance out of both of these teams. But Xavier, they're able to get the win because they won the rebound battle by kind of 43 to 32 for Xavier. 18 turnovers in this game. Florida, 15 turnovers in this contest. Not a lot of takeaways there because, well, these are a pair of coaching regimes that they aren't going to be in place within the next, I don't know, next few weeks. So that is certainly something that is just a little bit of a hilarity, in my opinion. Abilene Christian, if you're looking out there at the CBI, they get the job done against Troy. They were able to get up double figures, and they just wound up putting their foot down on them very, very effectively. UNC Wilmington, a team that really surprised out there in the CAA, they were able to get it done against VMI by count of 93 to 78 and I do think that UNC Wilmington certainly does deserve their flowers because this is a team that if you take a look at them after their loss against Jacksonville they were a team that was 3 and 5 now here they are ever since then they have went 21 and 4 I mean, that is a dramatic turnaround for a team that many people, including myself, thought was going to be towards the bottom of Conference USA. I had William and Barry behind them, but certainly a little bit surprising here as Michael Kuru was able to give you 27 points. UNC Wilmington, 10 of 25 for three-point range, 21 of 25 at the free line. And for VMI, they went 23 of 25 at the charity stripe. You did wind up having Jake Stevens give you 23 points. VMI, very effective offensive team, a very, very poor defensive team, and that wound up hurting them. Northern Colorado's been relatively poor on defense, but they get it done against a Florida Atlantic team I was playing in their home state because all these games in the CBI there in Daytona Beach, Florida, 74 to 72, the final for Dallin Counts. He was able to make everything count. 23 points. Bodie Hume, 11 points, 11 rebounds. So Northern Colorado, they advance despite shooting just 7-24 from three-point range because Florida Atlantic on their two-point shot attempts, it did not wind up going great for them. They wound up attempting 54 of them. They wound up making 21. And for Florida Atlantic, they wound up not being able to win the rebound battle against a Northern Colorado team that may have been a little bit suspect on the glass. Kerr able to give this Northern Colorado team 12 rebounds. So they were able to get it done there. Boston U, they get it done against UNC Greensboro by a count of 71 to 68 for Greensboro. Demonte Buckingham had in this game 21 points, but for Greensboro, he completed our melt job. They were up 13 points in the first half, and then they made like your buddy at the bar and could not close as you wound up having Boston. You go 8 of 19 for three point range and 17 of 18 at the free line. Greensboro. 12 of 19 at the charity stripe. That wound up being the difference in this one along with Boston U. During the ball for only nine times in this game as Sukmail Mathan, 18 points, nine rebounds for Boston U. And then St. Bonaventure also able to go on the road. They got the job done in the NIT. So they are on to the Elite Eight. And take a look at everything that we've seen in college basketball, what we wound up getting on Sunday. This is between the NCAA and the NIT, the CBI, whatever. Underdogs wound up going 10 and 7 overall with regards to college basketball action on Sunday with a 9 and 8 record for overs. So overs were able to do relatively well. And if you take a look at the last seven days in general, what we've seen in college basketball, this is all tournaments lumped together. 52 overs of 41 unders, and underdogs have won 49, 43, and 1 against the spread. So that's what we've all been noticing in college basketball. Now let's take a look forward at the Sweet 16. Connor Ope does a great job over there with the Czech CBB. He is a man that does a podcast of his own, the Hope and Rolf podcast. We're going to be chatting with him next about Gonzaga. We're going to be taking a look forward at Arizona as well. The intrigue with their matchup against Houston, his takeaways from the first week of the NCAA tournament, and so much more right here on Coast Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Gibbs Peterson, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Peters, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always a pleasure to get any of the gentlemen of Heat Check CBB on the podcast, and today it is Connor Hope who's going to be joining me. You're able to hear him on the Hope and Rolf Podcast as R-A-U-F on Rolf. You're able to find that wherever you get your podcast. He does absolutely terrific work over there at Heat Check CBB on the written side. Also participates in the Rockin' 25 poll to be able to follow Heat Check CBB on Twitter. That's at Heat Check CBB altogether. And for Connor, you're able to follow him on Twitter at Condorian FM. These guys do great work all throughout 
throughout the college basketball season, but into the offseason as well. I'm sure that these gentlemen are going to be joining me once the NCAA tournament wraps up and we take a look at the transfer portal. And Connor, great to have you aboard. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Greg. Always a great time. And Connor, first things first, got to be talking about your alma mater in Gonzaga. They've been able to survive in advance, but things have been a little bit hairy for this team as they wound up in that game against Georgia State, a team that should not have been a 16 seed, by the way. They were only up by two with about 11 minutes remaining before they wound up going on their bonsai charge. And then in the second game against Memphis, Memphis wound up pushing them to the brink. Certainly, Memphis is a team that probably shouldn't have been in the 8-9 matchup themselves, but taking a look at this Gonzaga team, what were your real takeaways from these first two games? Because I do think that it sets up for a relatively interesting Sweet 16 game against an Arkansas team that they've been able to find their stride here the last few months of the season. Yeah, I mean, I think what you've seen over the last few weeks, I mean, starting with that game in Moraga against St. Mary's, St. Mary's did the same thing in the WCC tournament. And then even in these first two tournament games is that people have been starting to realize that the only way to beat this Gonzaga team is to pay, play physically. And not that Gonzaga can't match up with teams that play physically. It's just that slows down their everything they want to do offensively by just being a physical presence, getting back on defense, slowing down that transition game. And it worked. The issue is, is and you saw it in both games against Georgia, in this game against Georgia State, as well as the game against Memphis, with physical play comes a lot of fouls. And staying out of foul trouble, especially against these Gonzaga bigs, is an issue that teams are going to have if they try and play very physical defense against them. And so you saw it in both games. And I think the issue with Memphis is Memphis, if they had stayed focused for a full 40 minutes, probably beats Gonzaga. As we've seen all season, Memphis, I don't think, has played a full 40 minutes of you know locked-in, focused basketball. And those last 20 minutes, especially that first 10 minutes out of the half against Gonzaga, really is what sank them. They kind of sat on their heels, maybe came out a little bit too confident. And you can never count out Drew Timmy. He had two points in that first half and then went on a tear in that second half. So You know, we'll see some physical play from Arkansas. I think the issue with Arkansas that they don't necessarily have the depth physically in the front court to match up against this Gonzaga team. You're going to see quite a bit of players like Connor Vanover come in likely to try and just put bodies on them. But where Memphis's front court is one of the best in the country, Arkansas isn't quite there. They have Jalen Williams, who's one of the best forwards in the country, but he invites a lot of contact and that could lead to some fouls. So it's going to be an interesting game. I think that they're both set up for a really good Sweet 16 matchup. But if Arkansas can't control the you know control their own possessions, finish every possession with a shot, it's going to be tough for them to keep up. And is there any concern about Gonzaga's free throw shooting in this game as well? Because it's a Gonzaga team that Take a look at the last three contests. They've been shooting right around 59.5% at the free line. We wound up seeing a bunch of brick free throws here in the NCAA tournament, and I think that that could come into play against a relatively solid Arkansas team that is willing to get physical with you. No, absolutely. Gonzaga's free throw shooting has been an issue basically every NCAA tournament that they've played over the past couple of years. Part of that, I think, is a, is a factor of the fact that they rely heavily on their bigs. Drew Timmy's not a great free throw shooter. Chet Holmgren generally is. He wasn't great. I know Watson missed a couple front ends. Julian Strother wasn't great. But their backcourt has been good. Bolton hit both his free throws. Andrew Nemhard went 6-7. of seven. So as long as Gonzaga isn't getting fouled too often on their frontcourt players, which you know, might become an issue. It's kind of a double-edged sword. You want Timmy to have to beat you from the stripe, but you also don't want to foul out. That's really an interesting conundrum when you're a defense that's facing the Zags. I certainly do think it's going to be fascinating to see what we wind up getting in that Sweet 16 game as we do have Connor Opa of Hecheck CBB joining me right here on the podcast. And then another one seed that we know has been able to survive in advance, that'd be Kansas. They're going to be taking on a Providence team that a lot of people have been calling them lucky, but I would say that it's one of those things in which, yeah, Providence has been able to get those late game breaks, but don't let it take away from the fact that this is a relatively solid team. Don't be blinded by just the last few minutes of the game. Take a look at the entirety of it. Now, Remy Martin has been a big key for Kansas and with Kansas being 
in a really good fight against Creighton. I gave Creighton more credit than anything else with that regard. I felt like Greg McDermott did an absolutely terrific job in being able to coach up a team that was relatively banged up. Creighton was able to bury their threes, but I do think that this Sweet 16 game is going to be fascinating. I do think that you're going to see Kansas be able to survive in advance, but I do think that there is a little bit of something to a Providence team that time and time again in close games... They have been able to claw them out, and I do think that this is going to be a game in which Providence is going to be able to give Kansas a relatively good battle. Yeah, Remy Martin's the key right there, because if Remy Martin disappears like he did for parts of that second half against Creighton, you know, Providence could be in this game, and people may call it luck. I kind of call it grit. Providence wins close games, and while their metrics don't necessarily match their record, especially in those close games, I mean, that that's a factor. If it's a close game coming down the wire, Providence has all the experience in the world, you know, winning those games. I think if Remy Martin is playing like the Remy Martin of that first half, Kansas is just too big, too good, too high scoring for Providence to really have much of a chance in this game. I mean, we have to remember, right? Providence, yes, Richmond beat Iowa, but they played two teams that rank, I believe, outside the top 75 in Ken Palm. And so Kansas is going to be the first kind of true final four contender test for this Providence team. And it'll be interesting to see how they adjust to just playing a much more athletic, much more skilled team. I am right there with you, Connor. And when it comes to the NCAA tournament in general, something that I'm noticing is that defense has been winning out. I know that you wound up having a great tweet about so many of the teams that they wound up going out early as big seeds. The fact that they all wound up having one thing in common, poor defense. As we're recording this right now, we have no idea if Purdue wound up surviving and advancing, but really the lone team with a bad defense that has been able to survive and advance, that'd be North Carolina. You even take a look at St. Peter's, the upsets that they've been able to pull off. They're a team that they really do hang their head on defense. Top shot blocker in all of college basketball last season was Casey Undefu of St. Peter's. And I do think that when it comes to March, defense really does wind up winning out. I think that that's been on full display here in the NCAA tournament thus far. Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if you just look at the first round upsets, right? Those one through six seeds that lost in the first round all had defenses, I believe, outside the top 25 heading into those games and outside the top 30 by the end of those games, including Kentucky. Kentucky was right out, right at 25 in, on Kempom prior to their game, I think was 35 now. Defense always puts you in a position to at least have a shot at winning. You can score as much as you want, but if you don't have a good defense, you're not going to be in a position to win. And, and defense does that for you. I'd be interested to see what happens if Texas beats Purdue at the time of this recording. Obviously, that game hasn't gone on yet. But if that's the matchup with St. Peter's, it'll be really interesting to see what happens because Texas can go on on some slumps offensively. I think Purdue's offense is a little bit too good, too big, too dominant for St. Peter's to, in my mind, have a legitimate shot at the Elite Eight. But Texas goes on slumps. And so if that's the matchup, that I think is going to be a very fun one to watch just because both teams are, are pretty good defensively. And Texas doesn't necessarily have the most efficient offense all the time. Yep, the Texas offense certainly has had their falters throughout the year. Now, the good news is Marcus Carr has been able to cut down on those turnovers, but certainly, especially without Trey Mitchell in the fold, it has been a little bit of a suspect Texas offense. And when it comes to suspectness, you've got North Carolina, who on defense, I mentioned it, they're really the lone team as we're recording this with a bad defense that has been able to survive and advance to the Sweet 16. UCLA is a team that they've been able to do a good job all season long with regards to the defensive side of the ball. Now, Jaime Hawkins is dealing with a little bit of an injury that he wanted sustaining in the round of 32 and Johnny Juzang just throughout the last few months in general has been a little bit banged up but even without Jaime Hawkes and he's got some time to rest up this is going to be a game that's going to be played on Friday so he's got a full week to be able to heal even without him I still favor UCLA against North Carolina because I mentioned it it just seems like defense winds up winning out here in March I do like UCLA to be able to survive in advance against a North Carolina team that they deserve their flowers for the way that they've been able to put things together but I take a look at this UCLA team and I am very impressed by them and like I said even without Jaime Yacas I do think that they're going to be able to survive in advance against North Carolina in the Sweet 16. Yeah I do too if both Duzang and Hawkes can play and can play efficiently and effectively UCLA should win that game. Hawkes hasn't looked the most efficient I mean he looked good in that second half against St. Mary's but you know obviously in the first half and in the last couple of weeks he hasn't looked the same as he did earlier on in the season Hawkes is probably the most important player 
for UCLA. One thing you do have to take into account, though, is is if they're both hurt and they're heading into a game that should heavily favor North Carolina in terms of fan support, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But the key to this game, really, for me, if if neither of them are able to be effective one-on-one is Tiger Campbell. And I think Tiger Campbell, one of the best point guards in the country, uh, North Carolina doesn't really have a point guard like Campbell. And so even if Akas and Juzang, you know, on there, both of them have lower body injuries. If they can't be the shot creator, Tiger Campbell can set them up where they just have to spot up and shoot, which, which they can be effective at as well. I think that that's a great point that you bring up. Tiger Campbell really has been terrific for UCLA this season. Last year, his shooting was a liability, but he was able to take care of the ball. Still taking care of the ball. A top 10 team with UCLA with regards to fewest turnovers on a per possession basis. Now he's shooting 40% from three S. Had a little bit of a dip here in the last few months, but still shooting it really well compared to last season. And Connor, when it comes to everything that we're going to be getting in the Sweet 16, we've hit on a couple games. Is there another team or two or game or two that you're very curious in seeing? Because I do think that we've got ourselves a very good Sweet 16. No shortage of headlines when it comes to favorites, underdogs, what have you. What else are you going to be looking for in the Sweet 16? I think the biggest Sweet 16 game, if it comes to fruition, and I'm confident it will at the time of this recording, is Arizona-Houston. Arizona in their first game, I know they controlled it from tip to buzzer, but they had, what, 19 turnovers? Urquiza is a huge piece to this Arizona team, and he's not playing this weekend. And if he plays next weekend, is he going to be 100% against a Houston team whose backcourt is one of the best, if not the best, in terms of creating havoc and creating those turnovers and, and just being a nuisance for opposing point guards? It'll be interesting because you can survive... Some of these games, you know, against Wright State with having almost 20 turnovers. But as we saw in the game against Illinois, Houston created a lot of their offense off of off of turnovers and points and transitions. It'll be interesting to see Crease is fully healthy for that game because I think that could be what ultimately pushes Houston into a situation where they're looking at a game they could win. And what more can be said about this Houston team? Right around Christmas, they lose Marcus Sasser. They lose Traymond Mark from that backcourt. And yet, it's still a team that is firing all cylinders. They found a way to be able to get the job done. And you gentlemen over there at Heat Check CBB, you do more than just be able to get the job done. You get the job done very well. All of you guys do absolutely terrific work. You do an amazing job with the Hope and Rolf podcast, which you'll find wherever you get your podcasts. You do a great job covering this sport all 12 months out of the year. So, Connor, love the good people at home. Know how they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got going on in general these next few weeks and, hey, into the offseason as well. Yeah, you're able to follow me at Condorian FM on Twitter. You can follow HeatCheckCBB at HeatCheckCBB on Twitter or HeatCheckCBB.com. You can listen to Hope and Ralph on any of the major podcast platforms. I have a couple of articles coming out, you know, either tonight or early this week. Top stars from the first weekend ranking all the Sweet 16 matchups and looking at some of the potential storylines that could be had in the national championship based on those teams that are in the Sweet 16. So lots of things coming down the pipeline, and it's going to be a fun next two and a half weeks. It certainly has been fun and will be fun. Who would have thought that a team whose mascot is a peacock would still be alive for an NCAA tournament championship. It's going to be absolutely tremendous to see what we wind up getting. And Connor and all the other gentlemen over there at Heat Check CBB are going to be following it every step of the way. Always a pleasure to get anyone over there at Heat Check CBB on this podcast. Today it was Connor that lent absolutely tremendous insight. So big thanks to Connor Ope of Heat Check CBB for joining me right here on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family of Podcasts. And even though we don't have any NCAA tournament games for Monday, we do have some CBI and college basketball classic games. So coming up next, I'm going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. And now part of the Beeson Family Podcast, it is always a pleasure to get our good friend Connor up on the podcast 
Everyone over there at EJXCBB does absolutely tremendous work. Connor is a big part of everything that they wind up doing. Everything from the podcast, the Hope and Ralph podcast, which you're able to find wherever you get this podcast, R-A-U-F on the last name spelling on that. And he also does absolutely amazing work with regards to their written work as well. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Monday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed upon my Twitter feed at JarenScorty1. At the time of recording this, this is right around 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. We've got no numbers up for the four CBI games, so makes things a little bit brutal there, but I've got my handicap on all four of those games. You can expect those games to be populating in the very early a.m., and we very well hope so because we've got a game that's going to be going on before noon with regards to what we're going to be seeing out there in the CBI, so it's going to be very fascinating to see what we wind up getting out there, and we are going to be starting out with those CBI games because they're first in the rotation, and it begins with 601-602 on the bang board. Drake and UNC Wilmington are going to be doing battle. I want to make a Drake a 6-point favorite. I set this total at 140 now with what we've seen out of UNC Wilmington. It has been absolutely tremendous. This is a punch that has now been able to win 21 out of their last 25 games. You do take a look at this Drake team as well, and this is a team that they legitimately had a shot to be able to go to the NCAA tournament as they played very well in the Missouri Valley Conference. They were unable to get the job done there, but I do take a look at this team, and at minimum, Drake belonged in the NIT, in my opinion. This is a very talented bunch that is headlined by Tucker DeVries, being able to give you 14 points, 4.5 boards. Drake as a whole, they rank in the top 50 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, and you do take a look at this UNC Wilmington team. What they do a very good job of is not turning the ball over. They are turning the ball over right around 10.5 times per contest, and they also do force right around 8 steals per contest with regards to steals on a per-possession basis. One of the better teams out there in college basketball, but Drake, they do a good job of being able to be relatively buttoned up is a bunch that only turns ball over right around 12 times per contest, so I do think that that's going to be able to serve them very well. And you take a look at both of these defenses. Neither of them are great. Neither of them are terrible. You've got a Drake team that, with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, they are clocking in right in the neighborhood, about 110th. And you take a look at UNC Wilmington, and they're a team that they are right around 170th. But with UNC Wilmington, no real drop-off with regards to home and road splits. Both of these teams, they do play relatively under control as well. Both of these teams outside the top 200 with regards to but as we know, when it comes to these non-NCAA tournaments, things seem to get a little bit more harebrained with them. You have to deal with a couple of injuries for this Drake team, the biggest of which DJ turned it up. Wilkins, a guy that's able to shoot 39% from three-part range, 10 and a half points per contest. You take a look at UNC Wilmington, and this team is going to be one that is full go. But with Drake, they also did wind up getting a day of rest. UNC Wilmington, they're going to be playing a little bit of a back-to-back here as well. You do have Jalen Sims, who I really do like for this team. Heart and soul guy, who is able to give you 16 points. Five and a half boards, two and a half assists, shoots in the mid 30s from three par range. And then you take a look at Shaquem Phillips, couple with Michael Kudu. Both of these guys combined for 24 points per contest. They both shoot right around 35% from three in your top three scores. All shoot at least 75%. And at the free line, you've been able to get some good production recently as well out of James Baker, a guy that's able to give you seven points, four and a half boards, has come in from Morehead State and has been able to do a relatively solid job of being able to give this team a little bit of consistency at right around a block and a half per contest as well at six foot seven. But Shaquan Emphill, a guy that's able to give you 10 points, five boards, I think that he's going to be able to do a solid job down low for this Drake team and Roman Penn. He dealt with quite a few injuries throughout the season, but has really been able to rein it in with regards to being able to dole out the ball. You take a look at what he's been able to do, and he's been able to give you at least three assists in every one of the team's games ever since Valentine's Day, so he has been able to do a nice job running, efficient offense, three turnovers or fewer in all but one of the team's games ever since the game that they wound up playing against Northern Iowa that wound up going to overtime on the 5th of February, so I do take a look at this spot. I wound up setting my total at 140. pair of teams that aren't necessarily Blazers, but a pair of teams are okay, not great on defense. I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game following. Drake is a team that you're able to trust in at the free line, right around 75.3% at the charity stripe. Meanwhile, UNC Wilmington, team that shoots right around 72.5% at the free line. So I'm looking at a total of 140 and made Drake a six point favorite. 
604 on the betting board. UNC Asheville and Northern Colorado do battle. Northern Colorado, I wound up setting as a 7.5 point favorite. Made my total 153 and a half. You've got a Northern Colorado team that has played no defense at all this season. They rank outside of the top 310 with regards to points allowed under per possession basis. And then you take a look at our good friends UNC Asheville and as it has been the world's greatest year for them on defense either. Though, I will get into Drew Pember in a second one of the better shot blockers they're going to find in all of college basketball. But Asheville is a team that they rank right around 150th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. I mentioned it with Mr. Drew Pember. How about this gentleman? He's been able to give you 15.5 points, 6.5 boards, has been able to block three shots per contest. So he has been an absolute dominator with that regard. And a guy that, despite being 6'10", he's been able to shoot 35.5% from three-point range in a road and neutral court environment that winds up going to 38%. But Northern Colorado, this is a team as a collective. They're shooting right around 38.5% from three-point range. Each other top three scores shoot above 41% from three-point range, including Dallin Counts. 21 points, four boards, shooting 41% from three-point range. You've had a pair of guys in Drew Cookshausen who led all of college basketball and made three-pointers two seasons ago ahead of Marcus Howard in that 2018-20 season. And Matt Johnson be able to come by him for about 25 points per contest. Johnson has seen a little bit of a fall off with his numbers. He's been doing a little bit more facilitating, a little bit less scoring, but you saw Bodie Hume, who during the 2020-21 season was the ultimate stat sheet suffer. 16.7 boards, a block, a seal per contest this year. More on 11 points and 6 rebounds per game, but you take a look at it, and it has been huge time. He's been able to give the team at least 5 assists in each of the last 5 contests for this team. Has done a good job of being able to facilitate some good, clean offense, averaging a seal per contest. So, I like what I'm seeing out of him, and then you take a look at what you're able to get down low. Kerr Jonkuch has been able to give you 8.5 rebounds per game. Should be able to win the battle down low against a UNC Asheville team that really, outside of Drew Pember, you haven't had a lot of rebounding. Tayshawn Jones has been able to give you 5.5 rebounds per game. Nobody else gives you more than 4 per contest, as James Battle does give you 8 points per contest, but shoots 23% at the free line, really doesn't dole out the ball. LJ Thorpe along Trent Stephanie. They combine to be able to give you right around 7 assists per contest. Sharp is shooting right around 40% from 3 point range. And Tayshawn Jones, more on 39% from distance. This is a UNC Asheville team that they're not necessarily looking to gun it, but at the same time, they're certainly not a slow team either, so I think it's going to be very intriguing to see what you wind up getting from a tempo perspective because this is a Northern Colorado team that they play a little bit faster, but they're once again not a team that's necessarily going to be playing with their hair on fire among your 358 D1 teams. Northern Colorado clocks in right around 75th. With regards possessions per game, UNC Asheville is more around 96. So I did wind up setting my total at a 153.5 and made Northern Colorado a 7.5 point favorite. 605, 606 on the betting board. Boston U and Middle Tennessee are going to be doing battle. I wound up setting Middle Tennessee as a 5 point favorite. They are going to be without, once again, Josh Jefferson, our sole guy for this Middle Tennessee team. And in their first two games without him, it was a little bit of a rough go of it, but they seem to have been able to pick up a little bit of upward momentum, and I do like what I'm seeing out of them right now. They're going up against a Boston U team that they've been league average with regards points a lot on a per-possession basis. This is a Boston U team that they really look to slow things down to a crawl. They're outside the top 325 with regards to possessions per game. You do have Javante McCoy along Sukmail Mathan, who are able to combine for 33 points per contest. Mathan is able to give you 10 rebounds. McCoy shoots 44% from three-point range. And for Boston U, they were able to come back from double digits against UNC Greensboro yesterday, but I do think that a key is that Middle Tennessee is going to be a little bit more of a rested team. They didn't wind up having to play yesterday, so I think that that works in their advantage. And you take a look at a pair of guys, Donovan Sims and Eli Lawrence. They both combined to give you 22 points per contest. Both of these guys give you between 4.3 and 4.4 boards per game. DeAndre Dishman, the only guy that's able to give you 5 plus rebounds per game for Middle Tennessee. So they're going to have a little bit of a tough time against Mathon, but this is a Middle Tennessee team that they've been doing a good job of being able to force turnovers. They get 8 steals per game. Meanwhile, got a Boston U team that they only turn the ball over right around 12 times per contest. Walter White, he's been breaking bad with 13 points, 6 rebounds per game. You take a look at him and he's been relatively rock solid for this team, especially down low. It's been able to give you at least 5 rebounds in each of the team's last 6 contests has scored at least 8 points in each of the last 6 games as well, so I do like what I'm seeing out of him, but that said, this is a Boston U team that they really don't have a lot of depth. Middle Tennessee, they certainly have a lot more depth, and I like what I'm seeing out of Cameron Weston as well. Weston is a guy that has been able to do a nice job dishing out the ball, 3 plus assists in each of the team's last 4 contests. A guy that is able to generate a steal per contest as well, really for Middle Tennessee. Each out of your top 4 scorers are going to be out there on the floor in this one. Do generate at least a steal per game. Middle Tennessee, they are good at the free throw line late as well, shooting as a collective 76% at the charity stripe. Middle Tennessee has been able to do a great job of being able to exceed expectations. Boston U has been relatively shaky with regards to their defense. This is a team that they enter having given up at least 68 points in now four of their last six contests. So I did wind up saying this total at a 133.5. I do think the Boston U going to be able to get their slow and methodical style. And you take a look at Middle Tennessee. Aside from that three overtime game that we wound up seeing against UAB, and when you wind up going to three overtimes, well, that's just a little bit of a calamity. In every single game that they played this 
this month, they have been able to hold their opponents to 68 or fewer. So I did wind up going lower with the total 133.5 with Boston U's tempo, and I did wind up making Metal Tennessee a five-point favorite. 607, 608 is the last of the CBI games. You've got yourself Ohio and Abilene Christian. All these games, by the way, taking place in Daytona Beach, Florida. I'm on upsetting Abilene Christian as a three-point favorite and your total 144. I really think that both of these teams in this pod have a chance to go up against perhaps a Drake in the title game because these are two teams that I am very bullish on. You take a look at Abilene Christian and I do think that their style does pose a little bit of a threat to an Ohio team that they've been good at being able to take care of the ball all season long. This is an Ohio team that even though Jason Preston is out of the fold, Mark Sears has been able to pick up the pieces and has been able to do a great job with the point guard spot. 19.6 boards, 4 assists. Guy that shoots 41% from 3 and 89.5% of the free throw line. Ben Vanderplas, Jason Carter, both of these guys give you 14 points per contest. They combine to be able to give you 13.5 rebounds. You've got Vanderplas is able to shoot 34% from 3 and then You've had Tommy Schmuck and Ben Roderick combined to give you 13 points. Schmuck is able to shoot 38% from three. And this is an Ohio State team that they only turn the ball over right around 10 and a half times per contest. So I do like what I'm seeing there. But with regards to turnovers forced on a per possession basis, Abilene Christian entered this tournament forcing a turnover on 28% of possessions. That is number one in all of college basketball. Abilene Christian, a top 35 team with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. Now with that said, they're giving up right around 16 more points per 100 possessions in a road and neutral court environment. And you take a look at this Ohio team in a road in neutral court environment, they're actually giving up five and a half points fewer per one hour possession. So that is actually very beneficial to them, but I do also take a look at this Abilene Christian team, and despite how fast they wind up playing, this is a team that they rank in the top 50 with regards to possessions per game. Ohio, they're more right around 200th. They're a team that they've been able to be in relatively good control. You've got a lot of guys that they mix a match with Abilene Christian. This is a bunch that they're only shooting right around 32% from three-point range, but a team that's only turned the ball over right around 12 and a half times per contest, you give them a lot of credit for being able to do such a good job of being able to be buttoned up. Reggie Miller, no, not that. Reggie Miller, he and Damian Daniels have been able to combine for right in the neighborhood of about five Five and a half assists per contest. Corey Mason, Arian Simmons, both of these guys give you right around 12 points per contest. They will shoot it well from three-point range against Troy, shooting above 35% from distance in that game. It's an Abilene Christian team in which the hole is greater than the sum of its parts, and you had to like what you saw from Cameron Steele coming off the bench yesterday. He wound up having 18 points, seven boards, a guy that down the stretch has been a little bit hit or miss, hadn't had more than five rebounds in each of the team's last five contests, but a guy that is able to give you a different look as a six foot eight combo player that's able to shoot three. So I do like Abilene Christian in this spot. I think that it's just tough to prepare for that pressure defense on very short notice. So, do want to make Abilene Christian a three-point favorite and your total 144 just with the matchup. And now we've got two games that are going to be going down with regards to the college basketball classic. And we do have numbers on these games. 861, 862 is up first. So you've got USC Upstate and they're going to be taking on South Alabama. South Alabama is finding themselves as a favorite in this spot of 9.5 points. In total on this game, it is 140.5 and DK Nation pick is going to be on this one because I had to pick one of these games because these are the only two games that we wound up having numbers on. But with that said, what I'm going to be riding with is the over in this game. I want to setting the total at a 146. Now, you've got a South Alabama team that they have not necessarily been playing at any sort of a breakneck pace this year out of 358 D1 teams. They're a team that they're clocking in right around 259th. But with that said, you've got a USC Upstate team that they're legitimately playing no defense. They are outside the top 275 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. It's an upstate team that they do like playing a little bit faster. Right around 110th with regards to possessions per game. And you saw them in a game against Appalachian State in the first round of this tournament really be able to speed things up. And we're going to call it what it is. The basketball classic is not one that is going to be attracting a whole lot of defense. You take a look at South Alabama. And with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis this year, they do rank 60th. So they certainly have the edge there. And as a result, I did wind up saying South Alabama as a 12-point favorite. Now with South Alabama, this is a team that they're a little bit shorthanded because they've really had Charles Manning and J.J. Chandler be the two headline scorers for this team. They're the heart and soul pieces of this bunch. But you do take a look at it and you've got to figure that once again, you're probably going to be having J.J. Chandler out of the fold. A guy that has been able to give you right in the pocket of about 16 points per contest. A guy that has been able to shoot 35% from three-point range. But with that said, Charles Manning has been able to do a very solid job for this team. He has been able to give you double figures in each of the last three contests. A guy that is able to give you 16 points per game. Then you take a look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of this upstate team. And you've got some of the best three-point shooting that you're going to find in all of college basketball. Bryson Mazzone has been in the zone. 15.5 points, 5.5 boards, 
scores, shooting 38% from three-point range. And for that matter, among your top five scores for USC Upstate, four of them shoot at least 38.2% from three-point range, including a gentleman that's in the top 10 among qualifying scores in three-point shooting percentage. Jordan Ganey, 13.5 points. He is able to shoot 52% from three in a road and neutral court environment, 13-plus points in each of the last four contests, two-plus steals in each of the last five games. It's a USC Upstate team that has been able to do a solid job of being able to turn defense into offense. This is a South Alabama team that, with regards to turnovers, they commit 12.5 per contest with their slow style. That is a little bit tough, but at the same time, I do think that they are going to be able to win the battle down low because they've got Javon Franklin, 11.5 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. I think that they're going to be able to do a solid job of being able to go shot for shot in this game as well. You take a look at the South Alabama team. They have been able to score a little bit more recently. They have been able to score 70 plus points in both of their games thus far in March. You take a look at the defense and it's been a little bit touch and go with this team as well. Meanwhile, you take a look at this USC Upstate team and well, defense has been relatively optional for them. They have given up 70 plus points and now four out of their last five contests. Upstate just seems to be a team that they elicit a lot of up-tempo styles. They give up quite a few points. As a matter of fact, they have now given up, I believe, at least 78 points in something like five out of their last 10 games. So I do think that things wind up becoming a little bit more up-tempo in a tournament that, let's call it what it is, it's not necessarily the NCAA tournament with this upstate team. They only have Mazone being able to give you more than four and a half boards per game with 5.6. I think that South Alabama is going to be playing a little bit more of an up-tempo style in this one. K.O. Gonsalves, seven and a half points per contest. He's able to shoot 35% from three-par range. You've got to be figuring that we're going to see quite a few minutes in this game as well out of Alex Anderson. Anderson has been seeing more minutes as we able to give the team right around six points per contest in the last three games has been able to go out right around two and a half assists per game in those contests as well. A little bit of a six foot six combo freshman. So I do think that South Alabama going to get sped up in this game. I think that they're going to be able to do a solid job of taking it to an upstate team that has just been anemic on defense. So the DK Nation pick is going to be the over. Set my total at 146. Made South Alabama a 12 point favorite. So going to be one to lay it here as well. And we do wrap things up with Florida Gulf Coast and Coastal Carolina. So on the betting board, you've got 863, 864 Coastal Carolina, the home team in between three and three and a half point favorites. And your this game is saying we're team 144 and 144 and a half. With Coastal Carolina, I did wind up setting them as a three point favorite. So here at three and a half, I'm going to be willing to take the points. I did wind up setting my total at 145. You've got a Coastal Carolina team that they are not necessarily the world's most up-tempo team in all of college basketball. With regards to total possessions, brain, they're right around 215th. Meanwhile, you've got a Florida Gulf Coast team that they certainly are looking to push a tempo a little bit more. They're in the top 55 with that regard. It is confirmed that Michael Fly has been canned from Florida Gulf Coast. So this is a team that they're without a head coach right now, which I find to be very intriguing. But you do have Davion Dunmartin, and Dunmartin has been balling out all season long. 21.5 points, 6.5 boards. He shoots 37% from three-point range, 88% at the free line, which is big because Florida Gulf Coast has a collective. They shoot 67.8% at the free line. That's in the bottom 15 all of college basketball. I do think that you're going to be able to have Mr. Samuel be able to hold up at the point of attack, though. Kevin Samuel came in from TCU, has been amazing with 11.5 points, 9.8 rebounds, and 3 blocks per contest. He has been able to give you at least eight rebounds in pretty much all but two of the team's games ever since the beginning of the month of January. So he has been a dominator with that regard. Caleb Cato, Cyrus Largy are able to combine for 18.5 points per contest. Cato shoots 36.5% from three. Gulf Coast as a collective, they shoot 35% from distance. Now with Coast Carolina, they should be able to have Isam Mustafa be able to win the battle down low. But with Mustafa, you've seen it from him recently. He's been a little bit more pedestrian. He has given you 10 points or fewer in three of the last four contests. Wound up playing just 22 minutes in that game against Maryland Eastern Shore wound up getting into a little bit of foul trouble, so that is something that you concern yourself with going up against Samuel, Rudy Williams, Vince Gold. These two guys have been able to combine for 29.5 points per contest. They combine to shoot about 42% from three-point range. And you've got a Coastal Carolina team that they are not necessarily the world's greatest at the free throw line. Right around 69.5% at the charity stripe. Their 13 turnovers per contest. That is a little bit of an issue. Now, you're going up against a Dunk City team that they don't necessarily hang their head on being able to generate swipes. They only get right around six and a half seals per contest. Not great, not terrible, but I do think that Florida Gulf Coast going to be able to push the tempo a little bit more in this game with Musafa showing some signs of being in a little bit of foul trouble, a little bit of injury it seems like as well. I do think that Dunk City going to be able to hold in there. Abrima Diba who's able to give you five and a half assists per contest should be able to dole it out for Coastal Carolina and you do have yourself a Florida Gulf Coast team that with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis has been a little bit of a leaky defense this season as they rank out of your 358 D1 teams, 243rd and now not having a coach that couples with that but I do think that the guys for this Dunk City team. Going to continue to fight hard. I do think that defense not going to be at a premium in this game. Set my total at 145 going over at the Coast of Carolina. Made them a three-point favorite, so now getting the hook. Going to be taking a look at Florida Gulf Coast, and that will wrap things up. For the Monday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Beeson family of podcasts, a big thanks
thanks to our man Connor Ope of EchexCBB for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Hoops, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, got one or two ways we all fire those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GUnit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. Maybe it does not matter, so as per usual, please just send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. Find that five-star review. Coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season, and that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.